Today's episode of the No Neutral Moments podcast is brought to you by my friends at Admark. Uh, the foundation of a company or product is its logo or logos. Uh, Daryl and his team really cling to John chapter one that says, in the beginning was the word. For you see a logo is your identity. It's your personality. Along with your brand, it shapes how people define your company. For over three decades, Daryl and his team over at Admark have designed logos for companies, small and large, all across the Permian Basin, and yes, all across the country, no matter where you are. So after all, your identity is by design. So check out the show notes to contact Admark for all of your advertising and design needs. They've always done a great job for me, literally over 20 years, whether it's been in previous careers or in campaigns and various things we do. So be sure and check out the show notes and reach out to Admark at admark, A-D-M-A-R-C dot com or email Daryl at Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L-L at admark dot com. This episode of the No Neutral Moments podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Lucini and Mertz Surveying Company. Well, they're a resilient business. They're on a mission, and that mission is to faithfully serve clients and to empower employees. you got to love hearing that about a company. All the while, they're building lifelong relationships through the art, the science, and the process of land surveying. Every time I read this ad, I think about the wonder of a business, seeing what they do as an art and a science and a process all built up in relationships. They've been in business since 1952, Lucini and Mertz is known for their dedication to their clients, dedication to their customers, and obviously to customer service. So for more information, check out the show notes, contact Bobby Burkholder, and tell him that the No Neutral Moments podcast sent you. Again, that's Lucini and Mertz Land Surveying Company. You can reach out to Bobby Burkholder at Bobby B at Lucini and Mertz. That's L-U-C-H-I-N-I-M-E-R-T-Z dot com. Lucini and Mertz, proud sponsor of the No Neutral Moments podcast. Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome to this episode of the No Neutral Moments podcast. Uh, By the time you listen to this podcast, we'll probably be really approaching Christmas. Maybe you'll listen to this after Christmas and as you get into the new year. But uh, regardless of what brings you to this podcast and when you Come to this episode, we want to welcome you and really thank you for taking the time to listen over this past year. It's been a little bit spotty when we've been able to get these recorded, but really appreciate your patronage and appreciate it when you pass this podcast on to other people. I'm going to continue really in this this vein of what it means to break down the walls of this 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 dichotomy that I think is false, which is between what we consider sacred and what we consider secular. I I actually believe that all space is sacred. The space we go to work, the space we go to church, the space we go to recreate. Uh, I really do agree with that statement that there's no such thing as an unsacred space, just unsacred people who really um, desecrate the sacred spaces in which we do life. And I think it's upon us to return a bigger meaning and bigger purpose to all the spaces we inhabit, whether that's in politics, whether that's in church, whether that's in your corporate environment, it's in your family. 
we perpetuate the sacredness of these spaces by the way we live and by the calling in which we live. And recently I sent out an email, some of you were on the email list, uh, where I was talking about this this drivenness that some of us have to win and what happens when we begin to experience a movement into a heart that has a calling to serve. And that doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive, but I have found for many in, in this listening audience and many that I've worked with over time, there there's a group of us. And, and if you are not in this group of us, perhaps this will help you be able to deal with us. There are a group of us who are very driven, very competitive. Uh, I won't go into all the reasons for that drivenness and that competitiveness, but um, I've walked with enough people and enough peers and enough friends to know that there comes a place if you continue to nurture your soul where this desire to win reaches a point where it begins to be tested. Maybe a better phrase is it begins to be refined and we literally find our hearts and minds changing. We don't lose a desire to win, but we begin to turn to a more focused life of serving. You know, I I, I wish I could have re- recorded this podcast 20 or 30 years ago, but I wasn't uh, mentally and emotionally and, and spiritually to a place to understand this. I guess that's why it takes time. But to be blunt about it... Um, some of you out there in the listening audience who are somewhere between college age and maybe uh, 50 may not appreciate this episode or even value it. I'm not sure that that I would have. It's it's not an insult. It's just it's just a hopeful challenge to you that if you are quote unquote younger that you might consider the content of this episode a bit more seriously than maybe I would have uh, 20 25 years ago when 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 I was in my 20s and and had really bought into an idea of win at all costs, not not integrity, not compromising principles, but just a drive to succeed. And this again, these are not mutually exclusive, but there's a shift that I think takes place that I want to just talk about. I can recall reading in my early 30s, uh, in my first training class when I was at William E. Davis and Sons, it was a quote called The Great Paradox. Uh, I'd give attribution to it, but every time I try to find attribution for this quote, I never am able to find exactly who it's attributed to. Maybe somebody will help me with that. But the quote went something like this. It's, It's like this. I find more joy and happiness in life when I stop trying to get what I want and start helping others get what they want. You know, it sounds, um, a bit like, um, the phrase or the Bible verse that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, More specifically, um, Luke, the writer of uh, the biblical book called Acts, tells us that Jesus said it's more blessed or blessed, however you want to say that, to give than to receive and, and to stay on that note in the life of Jesus. We're given a glimpse into the nature of who he was and what he did and how he did it in another book of the Bible called Philippians, when it tells us how he did not consider his equality and place with God something to be held onto, but it says he emptied himself and he took on the heart and the life and the practice of a servant. There's another biblical passage found in the book of Mark 
and it talks about what real leaders look like are those who serve first, who understand the first will be last and the last will be first. It seems like the wisdom of the ages and great sages are constantly pointing us towards a life and a career of service and humility. As a matter of fact, and you may even hear me cracking this book open here because I want to read some quotes. Uh, you know, Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, is is one of my favorites, uh, I think, over time. Even the companies he studied, he's gone back and, and talked about why some of them continue to succeed and some of them failed. But the principles, I think, in this book, Good to Great, are really, really uh, sound. And he talks about something called a level five leader. You'll have to do your own research, but um, I'm going to read to you out of Good to Great, the way he describes level five leaders. One quote, it's very easy to find in, in a highlighted box in the book. It says, level five leaders channel their ego needs away from themselves and into the larger goal of building a great company. It's not that level five leaders have no ego or self-interest. Remember a couple of times already in this podcast, I've said these are not mutually exclusive things, but you kind of move from just a will to win into this maturity of a call to serve. He goes on to say, indeed, these level five leaders are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the institution, not themselves. And you can read institution by saying the people. I'm going to read a a little bit of a lengthy part in this same chapter about level five leaders. The um, title of this little section is called A Compelling Modesty. He says, in contrast to the very I-centric style of comparison leaders, in other words, leaders of companies that uh, were kind of arrogant, self-centered, he said his researchers were struck by how the good to great leaders didn't talk about themselves. During interviews with the good to great leaders, they talk about the company and the contributions of other executives as long as we'd like, but would deflect discussion about their own contributions. When they were pressed to talk about themselves, they would say things like, you know, I hope I'm not sounding like a big shot, or if the board hadn't picked such great successors, you probably wouldn't even be talking with me today, or did I have a lot to do with it? That sounds kind of self-serving. I don't think I can take much credit for it. We're blessed with a lot of marvelous people, or there are plenty of people in this company who could do my job better than I do. Stick with me as I read a little bit more. He says, it wasn't just false modesty. Those who worked with or wrote about the good to great leaders continually used words like quiet, humble, modest, reserved, shy, gracious, mild-mannered, self-effacing, understated, did not believe his own clippings, and so forth. A board member named Jim Lavacek described Ken Iverson, CEO of Nucor, and the transition they went through. He said, Ken is a very modest and humble man. I've never known a person as successful in doing what he's done that's this modest. I've worked for a lot of CEOs of large companies, and that's true in his private life as well. The simplicity of him, the little things, like he always gets his dogs at the local pound. He has a simple house that he's lived in for ages. He only has a carport. And he complained to me one day about how he had to use his credit card to scrape the frost off his windows, and he broke the credit card. You know, Ken, there's a solution for it. Put your car in the carport. And he said, ah, heck, it just isn't that big of a deal. He is that humble and that simple. And the last quote from this book, I know I'm kind of wearing you out here. Level five leaders look out the window to give credit or apportion credit to factors outside themselves. That means other people when things go well. 
And if they can't find a specific person or an event to give credit to, they just say good luck. It's all up to good luck. At the same time, they look in the mirror to apportion responsibility, never blaming bad luck when things go poorly. In other words, they'll shoulder the blame. So what I'm getting at is something I wrote about in a recent email. It's the, it's, it's the move a growing and maturing leader will make from a will to win to the even more extensive, greater, more powerful call to serve. And, and, and let me press in a little bit more because, again, I think this is the third or fourth time I've said it. I'm not telling you you're going to lose your will to win. But there's something about a shift to this calling to serve that adds to this desire to win. Maybe I can say it this way. This desire to win is accompanied with if others don't win with you, then nobody wins because you really want everybody to win. So so what about this will to win? You know, let me start there. I I can kind of already feel the pushback through the podcast because anyone who is successful, and, and you can kind of choose your measurement there, really has some kind of will to win, a desire to be the best, a desire to succeed, a desire to not let other people down, or at least to be the best version of yourself. I mean, a will to win wants to compete. If at the very least against yourself, it takes pride in competing and doing well, enjoys competing, believes there's there are winners and losers, and they'll do everything they can do to not be on the losing side. Listen, I don't have a problem in this category. I have an insatiable desire to win, to be at the top, to achieve. Maybe the negative spin on that is to not fail. But frankly, I mean, the target audience for this episode is the group that wants to push back against the case I'm trying to make about a shift or an addition or growth in this calling to serve because I'm in that group. So, you know, I'm kind of, what's the word, preaching to the choir, where the kind of people who I believe resonate with the Apostle Paul in the Bible, who would remind us of his amazing qualifications and how he could brag if he wanted to, because when it came to religious qualifications, he was kind of a winner. But then he would describe himself as someone being poured out for the benefit of others. So before I kind of turn back into a calling to serve, let me say something else, maybe in addition about this this will to win experience. I hate that phrase. Life, life has taught me that many people like to talk about a desire to serve. What frustrates me is the people who talk about wanting to serve, who have never learned to compete or to win, or quite frankly, undisciplined. In other words, their default is to service because they won't deal with their lack of competition or competitiveness or a drive to excellence in their own life. I expect that to offend some, but that's just the reality. These kind of people, they like the idea of service because it protects them from failure. Some of them, they're not willing to push. They're not willing to grind or to fight and to claw for much of anything. So they consider themselves above competition and they label the competitors as people who are too harsh and too hard and too hard to get along with and people who just want to win at all costs. There are those of you who don't necessarily like to see winners and losers, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a sense of wanting to be the best you can possibly be. And what I'm getting at is folks who might be listening to this podcast who your excuse of not being excellent is 
draped in this facade of just wanting to serve. And I think that's something to be avoided, you know, because all the while these sort of non-competitors make a living off of the people who choose to fight and to compete and not lose. Um, that kind of even even garner their paychecks in fields of work and service built by the people who compete. So I, I know that sounds harsh, but to be clear, in every great leader, there is a competitor and there's a fighter. If you don't have a will to win that you realize can get you, I mean, if you do have a will to win, you can get a little aggressive. And, and maybe this podcast is for you. Maybe the point of this podcast is for you to hear that you need to maybe have a greater will to win. But for the rest of us, kind of know ourselves and uh, know how competitive we can be for the rest. This podcast is for you. So what about this calling to serve? I'm not going to re-record an entire podcast to edit out the uh, that my phone just went off with a text message from my wife. So excuse me for that. But let's let's just kind of round it out with what this calling to serve might mean. And perhaps it's a little bit easier to grasp if I preview this uh, or or maybe just describe this with what I've observed as thinking patterns that are indicative of this this sort of switch, or if you'd like to have this idea of this addition to your life of competitiveness. And I, I don't have them in any real particular order, so don't think that first is best or third or fifth or ninth is worst. But let me go through some, some mindset processes here. If you're um, a competitor and, and you're wondering about what it means to have this this additional move into this call to serve. One is you, you, you've gained enough to realize there is no thing that ultimately matters to you, but the relationships are what matter to you. That sounds like a Christmas card or a holiday card, but, but you sense it. You, you, have, you have come to a place where you have, you've won in the category of things you want, but you realize you really do. It's not just a poster in the office that it's relationships and it's people. I would say you're on the precipice of this greater calling of your uh, fight, which is to serve others. Here's the next one. You've been around people of all types in a multitude of relationship, and you realize that no matter how successful or victorious you are, there will only always be a circle of trust made up of those you love and cherish the most and a few trusted friends. And you're just going to make a decision to serve everybody else. In other words, you're not worried about building your network, you know, just to see if you can have the largest network. You've noticed that the longer and harder you serve people, that a result of that is a larger network. And you're very content in your circle of trust. You're very content. You've become or are becoming even more content in the circle of your family and your extended family and your circle of trust. And now you don't look at others as competitors to be beat, but just people to serve, not expecting really anything from them. You might be having that thought process go through your mind in this growth moment. Here's another one. You truly begin to feel better when you see others win and succeed that you've had a part in helping them in and on their journey. So um, you really are taking joy in seeing people win and you really like it when you've given them the tools and the abilities to succeed. How about this one? You are just not afraid to work. Like you're a hard worker. You can win and lose, but you found that you have no deep angst about finding a way to make it again. And, and the reason I wrote that one down is because, you know, in the early days of, a, of um, really competing to win, 
sometimes it goes back to what I said earlier about just a, you didn't want to lose. And, and now you've reached a place in your life or you're reaching a place where you're beginning to realize, you know, win or lose, I'm going to get up and I'm going to just keep fighting again. And, and I'm just going to keep trusting that we'll just make it work again. And um, things don't matter. People matter. Relationships matter. I would say you're pressing into this realm of a call to serve. Um, a couple more. You find yourself trying to fade into the shadows of recognition but also find yourself being asked to do more by the people around you. This is probably a little more personal to me. I've spent a lot of stage time, you know, with nearly two decades of pastoring and then public service. And I'm seeing this change take place in me where um, I am really trying to fade away into the woodwork, but you you are getting these invitations to serve and, and you don't want to take them unless you can find a way to help make people better. I guarantee you there's many of you listening to this podcast who um, you're wrestling with this. Uh, another couple more. You believe you can help as much as you can win. Uh, you're starting to realize that. you got a lot to offer, and um, you're not bragging about that. You just feel like you 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 got a lot to offer, and you want to give it away. Um, kind of akin to that, the next one I wrote down is you find yourself wanting to give more than you want to gain. Um, you're really wanting to sacrifice. And then the last one I wrote is um, you're afraid of of losing your edge when you realize now, though, the fact that you are leveraging your success for the good of others. You know, maybe years ago or decades ago, you were worried you might be losing your competitive edge, but no, it's just matured and it's refined and you're leveraging your edge for the success and good of others. All this doesn't mean you're losing your ability or your will to win. I think I've said that like five or six times now. What it does mean is you're stepping into a mindset of others and you want to begin to live with what Covey called a view to win-win rather than win-lose or lose-win. doesn't mean, uh, it does mean you're learning that growing your soul is more important than gaining the world for the longest time. You and I have somewhat scoffed at this idea because we've seen it as a, as a cop-out that we're going to win, and we think that's a very healthy thing. And it can be as long as serving people's more important. More important. But now you and I are realizing that we want others to win with their souls healthy and not winning at the price of their souls. I think many of us together in this group on this podcast um, – have lived through a, a season and times where we have we have worked very very hard. We have fought. We have clawed, and none of us probably have given away our souls or lost our souls. But we know how close we could get to that. And and now we want to make sure that another generation knows what it is to have a healthy soul and to serve and to win. I'm I'm a firm believer that. Those who wrestle with this call to serve or this enhancement to service um, often arrive here through a long history of a of a will to win and a winning history. I see this pattern unfold all the times. I saw it unfold when I'm reading the Bible and the life of Moses and, and Paul and great leaders I've known through the decades. I'll close with this. You know, I'll never forget a time with a mentor of mine who told me. His greatest concern was the souls of the thousands of people within the company he was leading. It really took me back. And the way he said it was, 
His greatest concern is how he shepherds the souls of the people in this organization. And I was taken aback by his use of the word shepherd. And um, it was really a, a profound moment where I got to peek kind of into what it was like to move from just a will to win to a calling to serve. But maybe this is just something we should all wrestle with at some point together. What would it look like? Uh, in my daily life, in your daily life, if more of us were finding ways to serve one another rather than beat one another. Because maybe if we're serving as we seek to win, more of us win. And and we find more joy and greater happiness like the great paradox discussed. Look, I don't, I don't pretend to have all these answers. I'm really taking you on a journey in the soul of my struggle. Um, but I think I can say with some degree of confidence that every successful leader will face a shift from a will to win to a calling to serve. And now not only is my wife texting, but now she's calling me. But um, I'm not going to redo the whole entire podcast for that. But um, again, as I was closing, I, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do know, as I was saying, that every successful leader will face the shift from a will to win to the enormity of this issue of service. They're not mutually exclusive, but I think the end result is different when they work together. So I hope there's something here you're able to apply to your life. Um, and I hope you always remember there's no such thing as a neutral moment. God bless. Until the next time. <laughs>